the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today's show is Londonistan Today, America Istan Tomorrow. My guest is Melanie Phillips. She is the author of Londonistan. It's a book that has been published in both the UK and in America. And uh, she is coming to you now from London, where she's an award-winning columnist for London's Daily Mail. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Hello. Good to speak to you. Um, I actually saw Melanie on not too long ago on Fox News and uh, was impressed that... Um, she was trying to wake people up, as I have been doing as well, and a number of people who have been studying the threat of terrorism, and um, thought that you had put it all so uh, so perfectly in in terms of just saying your mind bluntly, and and, and which is what needs to be done mm-hmm. um, for people to try to wake people up. Uh, for example. You were actually talking about this in your interview before, but it's kind of come up again in the recent visit of Britain's new Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, Mm -hmm. with President Bush, and their recent um, uh, press conference in which Mr. Brown chose to define the struggle as a fight against crime instead of a war on terrorism. And that's what you've been talking about now for a while. So why don't you tell us about what the significance of that is? Yes, well, it's been very pronounced that um, uh, Mr. Brown has decided to avoid um, all talk of Islamic terrorism or Muslims and instead uh, talks in terms of communities um, and, as you say, uh, crime. Um, And this is a set of uh, uh, euphemisms which I think is singularly ill-advised. The theory behind it is presumably to avoid antagonizing Britain's Muslim community in order to encourage them to come forward, to give evidence to the police, uh, to uh, disentangle them uh, from the grip of the jihadi extremists uh, who are so numerous in Britain. Um, but I think it's very ill-advised because one of the problems that we have is that the Muslim community in Britain, uh, most of whom would have no truck with terror, nevertheless um, are in a state of denial, to put it politely, and uh, generally refuse to accept that the terrorism which faces us across the world, the global jihad, has anything to do with Islam at all. Um, And our establishment, our police, our security service, our politicians, have been tiptoeing around this for some years. Uh, Mr. Blair, during his time as Prime Minister, got a bit braver as time went on and started talking about the fact that we were up against an ideology rooted in Islam. Um, but while I think it is important not to demonize all British Muslims, because, uh, as I've just said, uh, the vast majority would have nothing to do with uh, terrorism, and many of them would have no truck with even the aims or ideas uh, behind the jihad, 
Uh, nevertheless, to seek to pretend that it's nothing to do with Islam is fundamentally uh, to, first of all, to misunderstand what it is we're up against. And if we don't actually understand what we're up against, if we can't even bring ourselves to name it, we can't fight it properly. And it also basically um, uh, goes down the same road as those Muslims who are in a state of denial, whereas we should be saying, in my view, we should be saying to them, wake up and smell the coffee. We're not blaming every one of you, but nevertheless you have to realize that this thing is rooted in your religion and it's up to you to do something about it. No, unless we say that to them, unless we say this is rooted in religion, we can't expect them to do anything about it. So it seems to me extremely ill-advised, um, but that is, as you say, the route that Mr. Brown has decided to go down. Well, is there currently, um, how has this been, how have people been reacting to this um, new policy or relatively new policy? Uh, I mean, is there is there discussion or is everyone just kind of um, apathetic as, as they are in the United States and just, you know, whatever you want to call it is okay? Yes, there hasn't been much discussion at all. I mean, um the uh, the situation is that Mr. Brown, as you know, has just taken over as Prime Minister, and there's a tremendous amount of discussion and excitement about what he's doing in general. People are getting their heads around, you know, quite how he is going to be different from Mr. Blair. Uh, clearly, you know, he was Mr. Blair's Chancellor of the Exchequer, his finance minister, uh, for many years. Now he's become Prime Minister, um, and people are very intrigued to see how he's going to change things. So there's a general interest in him, um, and consequently this issue um, has taken very much, uh, uh, has played very much second fiddle. Also, as you imply, I think people are still pretty, I wouldn't quite say apathetic, but they don't themselves yet realize quite how critical the language is. They don't realize themselves um, that this really is a war of religion. There are still a lot of people in Britain who um, uh are very unwilling to face up to the religious aspect of all this. Yes, because um, because of how politically incorrect all of that is. Partly, I mean that's that, that, that's a, a a large part of it. But I think there are other reasons too. I mean, I think you know, a war of religion is really a fearsome thing. Um, I mean, wars of religion historically, we know, go on for many decades. Uh, you don't know when they're going to end. Um, they involve hideous amounts of violence. They're very uncertain things. It's not like a war between states, um, which basically everybody knows what they're doing. Um, uh, and people are just very reluctant to accept that this is what this is. Also, the British, and you know, I think the Americans are a bit like this perhaps, but the British certainly are like this, that... Um, the British are very empirical, they're very down-to-earth, and they don't really understand religious fanaticism. Um, I think in America, having said what I just said, I think that in America you do understand religious fanaticism rather more, but the British are very unwilling to accept that people are driven by irrational impulses. Mm -hmm. uh, they think that everything that happens in the world has a rational uh, p uh, uh, reason for it, that people, whatever creed uh, they belong to, are basically rational actors always acting in their rational self-interest. And so the thought that millions of people might be in the grip of a delusion, a kind of cult, if you like, uh, in which they are brainwashed mm -hmm. uh, and in which they're in the grip of, of, of totally irrational and paranoid delusions, uh, strikes the British as completely implausible. Mm -hmm. um, and consequently, in my view, they just 
don't get their, they are not still able to get their heads around what we're actually facing. Yes, yes. It, uh, it, uh, <clears throat> it does make it seem all the more monumental, as you say, if you look at the religious wars historically. You know, um, <laughs> it's interesting, going back to what, what this is called, uh, a, a war on crime or a war on terror. Mm-hmm. I, I know um, uh, you've written about, and I've written about also, um, Harry Potter oh, yeah. and how how it's um, the the good and evil war. Um, although I must confess, I haven't read the last, the most recent one yet, mm-hmm. the final mm-hmm. one. But even in the books before, um, Voldemort was the evil, and, and I saw it as a metaphor for terrorism, mm-hmm. and it became increasingly mm-hmm. dark. And, and you apparently did too. And, and mm-hmm. he's called the one who shall not be named, or words to mm-hmm. that effect. And now yes. it's the same yes. thing. It is a very, a very striking um, uh, uh, comparison. I quite agree. And just like uh, in the Harry Potter books, you know, we're up against in the War on Terror. We're up against an enemy which. Um, it's very hard to see. Uh, it changes shape all the time. Um, it comes at us when we're least expecting it. Um, it performs acts of monumental and unthinkable cruelty and savagery, and it's very hard to defeat. <laughs> so the, yeah. the similarities are really quite pronounced. And, you know, what those books tell us, and of course they are children's fiction, but nevertheless it's a universal theme that the people who... Uh, win in the end, you know, that, that, that good can only triumph over evil if good people uh, have courage um, and have vision and uh, stick to it. And if they follow the instincts of good over bad and so on and make the choices that are necessary and don't give in to defeatism and appeasement and all the rest of it. And again, you know, there are, I mean, it, it, these are elementary, elemental messages for all time, and we're up against these very things now. I mean, it worries me very greatly that, uh, you know, the Western alliance in, in various respects, your country, my country, um, are, you know, we're showing signs of serious battle fatigue, yeah. uh, which in fact, we've, in, in, in many respects, in, in Britain, we showed from the very start of this, <laughs> before the battle even started, we were fatigued by it. Um, but defeatism, um, uh, despair, uh, and, you know, that way lies defeat. Yes, absolutely. I, I hear too, and the battle really hasn't even begun. Mm. Well, exactly. And, um, you know, I think we may all look back on this period as, as, as a period in which we all made a lot of mistakes. And I think the most fundamental mistake was not to understand the really overarching global nature of what we're up against, to see it in, in, instead in, in too small scale. For example, you know, the war in Iraq was separate from other things. Uh, terrorism was separate from Iraq. It's, it's all that sort of thing. And these things, okay, there are significant differences, uh, uh, and they don't all completely match up. But nevertheless, there is an overarching story uh, that we are that we need to tell ourselves, that we need to actually acknowledge, that we're still not acknowledging. Yes, and, and one of the things that is the scariest of all this um, is the immersion, the infiltration. Um, certainly, I think Britain is coming to terms with it more, or waking up to it more, um, although you know, resisting all the way, but still, um, having seen, for example, that the seven seven terrorists uh, were mm-hmm. born and bred. Well, one, most of them were born anyway, but yeah. they were bred in in the UK, and um, and feeling that sense of um, 
betrayal that how could one's own people turn against um, ourselves. Yes. Uh, and, and here in America, that really has not, um, it, it's barely, <laughs> most people are oblivious to that, how there is this infiltration and there are already problems. Uh, you know, of course, America is so big, and so when there are problems in little towns, mm. they don't always get, in fact, they most often don't get reported in the mainstream media, but there are mm. little problems going on um, in many states, you know, all over. And, and of course, that um, sleep, if you want to call them sleeper cells or infiltration yes, yes. or... Um, and to high levels of government as well yes. is really one of the most frightening aspects of this. Very much so. And people are reluctant to um, identify it uh, and to face up to it because it is one of the most frightening things to have uh, what uh, has been called you know, an enemy within because it's, it's very, very difficult to deal with it. First of all, it's very difficult to spot it. It means that people that you trust turn out to be completely untrustworthy. Um, assumptions you make about your fellow citizens are thrown completely upside down. Um, and the implications in terms of public policy for dealing with it are very difficult uh, because it calls into question, you know, some of our most cherished liberal principles um, to do with, uh, you know, respecting other people's religions, uh, respecting civil rights and all, and, and, and all that. And, you know, liberal society finds this very, very hard to do, to consider that in its own self-defense, in order to protect its liberal principles, the paradox is that we sometimes have to do illiberal things. Yes, yes. And one... Uh illiberal thing that we have to do right now is to take a break. <laughs> Love to continue. Everyone stay tuned. We're talking today about Londonistan today. America is done tomorrow with the author of Londonistan. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, am I? You are indeed, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Melanie Phillips. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The Kerry Douglas Show, where the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. 
Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Melanie Phillips. She is the author of Londonistan, and that is a book that is uh, a must-read. Uh, there is an, a British version and an American version. I'll tell you how to uh, uh, get to that, um, as well as to how to get to her website, which has lots of interesting information. She's coming to you today from London. She's an award-winning columnist for London's Daily Mail and is graciously taking time out from her column <laughs> deadline <laughs> to talk with us today. Um, before the break, we were talking about this this uh, insidious infiltration. I mean, that's one of the things you were talking before about it being a religious war, and, and that's one of the, the hallmarks, of course, that um, uh, Islamic fanatics, um, however you, you know, whatever the whatever word you would like to give to this, um, mm-hmm. are are not really thinking in terms of weeks or months or even years. They're, they've been thinking in, in long terms as a, you know, to ultimately take over the West, and, and it doesn't have to be tomorrow. I mean, that's part of it being a religious war that, that it sort of goes on indefinitely. Well, indeed, they play the longest game in town, um, and that's what's so tragic about the current furore over Iraq, um, which is but one front in this general uh, campaign. Uh, when you look at, you know, what uh, the, uh, the pressure in America and in Britain uh, to get out of Iraq, because, you know, we've been there for three years already. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, uh, this is a very long, this is, this is a, a very long fight. And, you know, if, if after three years we haven't achieved victory, we're all saying, oh, well, you know, let's throw our hat in the ring. Yeah. Um, then it's, then it, then it really is all over. Um, as you say, this is, um, this has been, uh, planned for, for a long time. Um, the Muslim Brotherhood, the organization of Islamists, um, which broadly lies behind Al Qaeda, um, and uh, who have uh, the, the, the general aim of Islamizing the world, um, the, decades ago uh, set out their stall quite openly, in fact, in Europe, um, and basically said that they were going to push for uh, Muslim institutions to be set up in the countries of Europe where Muslims were settling in order to uh, provide separate uh, separate Muslim identity as a springboard for the eventual takeover uh, of the West. The problem is that, first of all, hardly any of us knew at the time that this was being said. And anyone who did 
hear this or read this would undoubtedly have said, this is so ludicrous, we can't possibly take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Indeed, once Al-Qaeda got underway, um, we were still saying this. One of the reasons why um, Britain became the hub in the 1990s of Al-Qaeda in Europe was precisely because our security service and other uh, people in our establishment here in Britain just didn't take them seriously. There were these, you know, wild Islamic preachers saying insane things about, you know, restoring the caliphate, the medieval Islamic empire, and going back to the 7th century and taking over, you know, uh, uh, parts of Europe and so on. People thought this was completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we... Uh, you know, this is a typical Western hubris, isn't it? Typical Western arrogance, because we think it's stupid, we don't take it seriously. And then, you know, lo and behold, we find to our cost, when it's almost too late, that it's creeping up on us, because it's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And this has been the problem throughout. We have not understood that the game being played is a kind of pincer movement in which terror is only a weapon. I mean, I don't like the phrase war on terror because terror is merely a mechanism. Um, Terror is merely one weapon. Violence is one weapon. Culture is the other weapon. Culture is even more important, in my view. And it's no use just fighting the terror. I mean, obviously, we have to fight the terror. We have to infiltrate the cells. We have to stop the physical attacks. Of course, that's crucial. But... Equally important, more important in my view, is to address the literally uh, murderous and genocidal ideas that are driving this. And that's what we refuse to do in Britain, and you, I think, are also very reluctant to do it in America, because that brings us up absolutely against one of our fundamental and most cherished tenets of freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. So we in Britain have a situation where um, it's a well-documented phenomenon, a group called Hizbut Tahrir, uh, are going around our university campuses recruiting literally thousands of impressionable young Muslims to the cause of jihad. They are very shrewd, they're very intelligent, they're very intellectual, and they make a pitch that is uh, very carefully calibrated to a certain type of thoughtful young Muslim. Uh, because, however, they have no actual links in Britain to any acts of violence, our government says we can't stop them. Uh, because to do so would be to interfere with sacred freedom of speech. Well, this is insane. There are Muslim families begging government to ban Hizbut Tahrir because their children are being radicalized mm-hmm. and are in danger of being having radicalized. And that's the problem that we have as a liberal society. Uh, we just don't understand that in the game that we are now being forced to play, ideas can kill. Yes. Yes, and I, I guess also part of the problem is that because people, for the most part, don't really know very much about Islam, it's it's hard to um, battle the ideas or it's hard to discuss it um, with any kind of real background. I mean, I think people are feeling at a loss because they really don't know what it is. You, you know, it's not like it's it's not a religion that we've been... Um, you know, like uh, like Christians know about Judaism and Judaism know, I mean, certainly more than we know about Islam. Well, I think that's absolutely right. It doesn't help that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, sacred Islamic texts are in Arabic. Yes. There are many Muslims who don't understand their own right. religion because they don't speak Arabic either. I mean, so there is, as you say, so much ignorance. Um, and there is a great fear of becoming more uh, uh, knowledgeable uh, because people know that if they start getting into this territory, uh, they start opening up 
uh, very dangerous avenues, literally physically dangerous avenues. And so the result is that, among other things, we've become prey to uh, uh, sort of almost, I was going to say, revisionist academics, uh, that is to say, people who purport to know about Islam um, and who really don't know very much. They, they don't themselves speak Arabic, and they produce uh, accounts of the religion which are highly sanitized, highly yes. uh, selective, and give a totally false impression. Yes, so even different versions of the Quran that are that are in English and that are not quite yes. what the Quran says. Yes, yes, indeed. And so, um, you know, it, 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 it then becomes even more uh, confused and dangerous, a dangerous picture. But there are many, in, in Britain, one of the encouraging things that's happened in very recent months is that we now have a small but growing number of young Muslims who have been in the uh, radical milieu. They have been Islamists and they've come out. Uh, they have literally seen the light, and they have started to speak about what is going on yeah. and about what it all means. And they are giving the lie to all those Brits who have taken refuge in all these absurd excuses that the reason why we have radical British Muslims is because of the war in Iraq or because of poverty and discrimination or because of uh, segregated schools or whatever. These are all complete nonsense. These excuses are patent nonsense. Um, but for the first time, we actually have people who have been um, Islamic radicals who are coming forward and saying, this is absolutely uh, nonsense. This is a religious war. You know, wake up and smell the coffee. And that is a very, very healthy development indeed. Yes. Huh. And um, what do you attribute that to? Um, well, I, I, I think that... Um, I, I'm not quite sure what I attribute it to, quite frankly. Um, I mean, in, in each of these cases... Uh, would these be like muppies? You know, sorry? Like, would these be like muppies, like yuppies, you know? No, <laughs> <Would> be, no. <laughs> no, I think they're just people whose innate intellectual integrity has just forced them mm -hmm. to see that what they were led to believe is rubbish. Uh, it just doesn't stand up. Um, uh, you know, these are these are bright young men um, who actually uh, have come. There have been various there have been various routes by which they've come to this. Uh -huh. um, I mean, one of them uh, went to Saudi Arabia and saw what he hadn't believed to be the case hitherto, mm. which is you know the terrible oppression of his fellow Muslims in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Uh, that was a terrible shock to him as a Western boy. Um, and he, he, he then, you know, began to think, you know, how can this be? And once you start to think out of the box, yeah. you know, then you really do start to unravel the whole thing. So they've all had different routes out of this. Um, but whatever, I mean, they are, you know, they are telling the truth. Yes, yes. Well, that is a good, uh, that's a nice positive ray of hope. And, of course, you're working very hard, not only with your two um, versions of Londonistan, the uh, British and American, but also in your column in the London Daily Mail. Uh, well, yes, I mean, I'm a writer. That's, that's, that's what I do. Um, all I can do is write and hope that people will read what I write and take some notice of what I say. I mean, you know, um, I just do what, I, what little I can to influence uh, people um, and to bring facts to public attention which uh, hitherto have not been uh, in the public domain. There's not much more I can do than that. 
Well, yes, and I want to say that um, this book is just incredibly uh, researched and supported by you know every statement that you make that people where people where you anticipated that people would be scratching their heads and saying what where did she get that from <clears throat> you actually have it uh, uh, noted uh, exactly where you did get all this from and so the facts are, are indisputable I mean it is so well well researched and, and, and convincing for those who need more convincing and um, well, it's kind of you to say so. It's terribly important that people should have not just facts at their fingertips but know where they're coming from um, so that um, there can be no doubt about it because, you know, this is an area which people do find very difficult to get their heads around for all kinds of reasons. And so one has to make the case, you know, as thoroughly as one can. Yes, well, you absolutely have done that. And um, I will, of course, you can all buy this book in in uh, normal channels, bookstores, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. And in addition to that, I think you should go to Melanie Phillips' website where you can read um, selected columns that she's written and and um, uh, more information about her. That is very valuable as well. Updated her current thinking on uh, the new unpredictable events that occur. So, Melanie, thank you very much for joining me on Dr. Carol's Couch, and um, I look forward to uh, uh, to hearing more from you, and, and uh, it's very refreshing to see you fight the good fight. <laughs> thank you for your time. Thank you. And stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Londonistan today, America is stunned tomorrow. We've just been talking with Melanie Phillips. She is the author of Londonistan. Um, which has an American as well as a British version. I do recommend it to you. Um, last night, I actually went to a small gathering with Steve Emerson, who is, um, well, who uh, has written some commentary on uh, uh, Melanie Phillips' book um, and is also a pioneer in trying to wake people up to the threat of terrorism at our doorstep. Um, of course, you know, nobody wants to hear this. It's very uncomfortable, I'm sure. All of you are thinking, well, why is she talking about that? Uh, this is just making me uncomfortable. I'm going to need to see a psychiatrist after this, right? But, um, well, actually, you just need to buy my book after this. <laughs> the British version of which is called Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and it's on my website, which is drcarol.com. But... Um, uh, and there's going to be an American version coming out this year. But aside from that, um, the reason why we need to wake up to it is because even though it is uncomfortable, it is something that we, each of us needs to incorporate in our daily life in terms of doing something about it. That could be something like contacting uh, our congressmen, con- contacting various elected officials, uh, to try to, to ask them and to hold them accountable for what they are doing uh, to find out about and be aware of the threat that is really, uh, it's now, it's not it just in Iraq, as um, President Bush would have us um, think. I mean, yes, certainly that's something that has to be dealt with, but just w- w- the danger of focusing on Iraq is that we are sort of lulled into a false sense of security in that we're thinking that the war on terror is in Iraq and not really on our doorsteps as well. Um, You were, as uh, Melanie Phillips was saying earlier, um, really this is is a religious war. It's something that um, uh, is going to be around for a very long time, and people in the U.K., and certainly, as I notice, people here are already suffering from battle fatigue. And that's, that's very dangerous because this war on terror has just begun. Um, and we need to be able to keep ourselves strong uh, psychologically and physically in order to survive. And that's, that's actually part of what I, a lot of what I talk about in my book, how we do just that. Um, because if we collapse from battle fatigue early on in the battle, uh, democracy, in addition to our own private lives, um, are going to be um, walked over or trampled on. And I, I think it, it is so true that this is an idea that before 9-11, at least in this country and before 9-11 and in the U.K. before 9-11 and also before 7-7, 
uh, 7-7 of 2005, July 7th of 2005, when uh, there was the equivalent um, of our 9-11 in terms of the four bombs that went off, three in the underground and one on the bus. Um, you know, that jolted the U.K. awake, just like 9-11 jolted America awake. However, even though we are still suffering psychologically, and that's um, what I am trying to wake you all up to, the fact that it's, it's, it's really still affecting us, call it battle fatigue, or um, what I've called it is terrorist stress syndrome, um, it is really affecting us today. There are people, you know, we hear about, for example, the um, increase in obesity, the epidemic of obesity in America. Well, if you don't think that the epidemic of obesity is connected to the threat of terrorism hanging over our heads um, and the memories of 9-11, you're wrong. (laughs) It does. You know, there were reports of um, how people turned to comfort foods after 9-11. I'm sure you you know, probably many of you have heard heard that uh, in the media. There was talk of people reaching out for things like, uh, oh, like um, potatoes or pizza or um, or cookies or or ice cream or, you know, really things that comfort foods and comfort foods are things that we had as children uh, that we were given as children by our parents when we needed to be comforted. And so what we're doing is trying to comfort ourselves by uh, doing such things as eating these comfort foods, self-nurturing. But, you know, there, we have to find healthier ways of doing this um, than, than with food, than with comfort food. I mean, some is fine. In moderation, it's fine. But obviously, being uh, becoming obese is not healthy, and it's not um, going to help us to win this war on terror either by keeping ourselves strong psychologically and physically. And the connection is so uh, dramatic. If the more stress that we are under, the more um, wear and tear, uh, the more erosion there is on our bodies uh, physically. I'm not just talking about being becoming overweight right now. I'm talking in general on our hearts, on our blood pressure, on developing cancer, on you know really pretty much all... Um, physical problems are exacerbated by stress. Um, so infections, you know, vulnerability to infections, all of that. So it's a real vicious cycle as far as um, us not recognizing the stress that we're under due to terrorism and therefore us not taking steps to... Um, to incorporate things that take this stress away into our daily life. Now, it probably sounds uh, contradictory. Well, either we are awake to the threat of terrorism and we're stressed or we're not, but it's, it's not quite that easy. Um, it, it's a little more complex or subtle than that because, yes, we are aware on one level at least to news reports or to programs like this or to speakers like Melanie Phillips or Steve Emerson, um, but at the same time, and, and and every day, of course, there are at least one or two or three things in the news that are related to terrorism. We hear this at one level, 
and yet we desensitize ourselves to it. It's it's, it's almost like, um, you know, and this is what I try to do is sort of uh, shout higher, shout louder, so to speak. Uh, this is what people, you know, like Melanie Phillips or Steve Emerson or the other people who are telling the truth about the war on terror are trying to do is to speak, I don't mean literally louder, but I mean speak in a way more blunt or more with more um, research, you know, putting all of it together so that it has to wake you up. I mean, you have to see things in a way that you might not have seen things before, that you've gotten desensitized to. I mean, we, we expect, for example, every day to hear about more casualties in Iraq. We expect to hear about uh, the prosecution or the capture or the uh, interrogation or, you know, something about some terrorist um, who has been arrested or investigated somewhere in the world. And, of course, we also, you know, some of the more minor, relatively minor, compared to 9-11 or 7-7, terrorist attacks all over the world um, get, you know, get less and less attention from us because we, we become desensitized because that's sort of a protective mechanism. The denial is a protective mechanism. But at some point, it becomes a very dangerous mechanism because although, yes, you can't think about this um, every single minute of the day, and in some ways denial can be uh, helpful or therapeutic, but that's only, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between not thinking about it every minute of the day and not do thinking about it at all, just hiding from it, putting our heads in the sand from it. And that's what people are doing. And and that's how, you know, the, the threat of terrorism um, has crept within our shores, whether it's the U.K., whether it's Spain, whether it's France, um, whether it's uh, America, you know, all over America in places that you are not really hearing about in the mainstream media. Um, so the, the, the main point is that because it is really literally at your doorstep, you have got to start doing things about it now. One set of things, you know, would be um, becoming activists, doing things like what I suggested, contacting your um, elected officials and making sure that they are aware of your concerns, um, that how could people who pretend to be moderate Muslims, uh, who are masquerading as mos- moderate Muslims, actually... Uh, be caught on tape uh, as as inciting jihad. I mean, I'm talking about now a, a video that I saw last night uh, that Steve Emerson is putting together where he, um, it's, this is sort of a, a trailer, a, a, a uh, oh, just a brief example, a 20-minute example of what the whole video that he's putting together will be like. But it is really shocking. It's it's uh, on the you see people who have even gotten into the White House. People who, as I said, pretended to be moderate Muslims became friends with people in the FBI, people in the White House, highest levels of government. And there are pictures of this. I mean, the the video is really powerful because you you actually see it before your very eyes. That um, pictures of of these people with the presidents, and then these same people talking uh, in totally an opposite way um, in a different setting on the pulpit at a um, 
at a gathering where they are saying exactly the opposite of what you just saw them say in the previous uh, piece of, of footage. And here they are inciting jihad and saying that, uh, you know, talking about overthrowing the West and all of that. And so it, it's really very powerful and it, 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 it beckons to us. <laughs> It has to beckon to us before we become too battle-fatigued or too apathetic um, to actually come out and do something about it and not think that this is ridiculous, that um, Islamic fundamentalists think that they can take over the West because they're not thinking it's ridiculous. They're laughing at our naivete. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Whether by choice or by circumstance, the statistics of the effects of missing fathers and the impact on our children, our neighborhoods, and our communities is staggering. How can we interrupt this pattern of violence, gang activity, drug use, and sexual activity among our fatherless children? On Changing a Generation, with author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and host, Terrence Wilson, the focus is on elevating the mindset of this current generation by unveiling viewpoints that inspire people to reach for their dreams. Terrence and his guests reveal how building family relationships, becoming an entrepreneur, and living a Christian life develops future leaders in the next generation of children. Changing a Generation with Terrence Wilson broadcast each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Changing a Generation, bringing a message of deliverance to the fatherless on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about Londonistan. Today... American, America is stand, however you want to print it, however you'd like to call it. America is stand tomorrow. And, uh, you know, that's more than a play on words. That is really something that uh, is happening in the sense that more and more 
uh, terrorists are um, coming to our shores, um, waiting, biding their time, and uh, plotting against us. <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, it's, I'm not trying to uh, engender paranoia. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I guess, engender a, a healthy paranoia in the sense that uh, we need to be more aware of what really is going on, so that we can, so that we can stop it before it uh, becomes really out of our control and and you know what my guest Melanie Phillips was saying before um this is and I totally agree with this this is going to be a time when we're going to be looking back on this time and um thinking where were we why did we have our heads in the sand um why didn't we do something about this when we still could and that would be really uh tragic in in many ways if that's what we're thinking at some uh, point in time, which may not be that far away. Um, I was talking about how um, terrorists are laughing at us for um, being so naive and, and not believing that anything could take down the West. Um, you know, that's what they've thought before in other great civilizations that uh, had risen, had risen um, before they fell, you know, people who feel invincible. Certainly in the United States, we feel invincible. And, um, you know, there is an invincible American spirit, but not if it's buried under denial. So we, you know, we, we what's happening is we're underestimating our enemy. We're underestimating the terrorists. We're thinking that they're stupid. We're thinking that they're poorly organized. We're thinking all kinds of stereotypical, um, you know, negative, <laughs> negative views of them. Uh, and, and really, um, that's not true. I mean, at least the people who are organizing um, the terrorist plots are, are not stupid at all and are very carefully and very tenaciously plotting the overthrow of the West. And one of the ways that they're doing this is by using our freedoms, our democracy, against us, using free speech against us, terrorists complaining of being victims of hate crimes, um, and trying to, you know, filing lawsuits against us, uh, complaining to governments, complaining that they're the victims, and and using our guilt, our feelings of um, political correctness, the importance of political correctness against us. Now, you know, the, the problem really comes from us assuming, oh, these poor people are victims. Now, I'm not trying to say that there aren't uh, hate crimes that go on in America um, and other countries against um, Muslims. Certainly after 9-11, the, the number of these crimes increased. And certainly not all Muslims, I, I need to say that every time I talk about this, because um, not all Muslims are terrorists. However, an increasing number are sympathizers because um, the people who are the terrorists are very effective at spreading their messages of hate. And, you know, one example of, um, of how our government, on the one hand, I mean, it doesn't seem like our government knows, on the one hand, what the other hand is doing. We saw that with President Bush wanting to um, give our the control of our ports to potential terrorists, and now the latest 
um, suggestion, proposal that's that the president has put into Congress is uh, selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Now, the idea of um, financing, um, you know, putting putting um, more arms in the Middle East, which is already a hotbed, and giving arms to a country where we know uh, that there are reports that Saudi Arabian terrorists are in Iraq, um, just as one example, I'm not limiting it to Iraq by any means, but in Iraq, killing our American soldiers, and now we're going to sell arms to them so that they can better kill our American soldiers? I mean, sometimes you just have to scratch your head and say, what is going on? But we have to do more than scratch our heads because um, we have to speak out. We have to say that this is a, a ridiculous plan, uh, a very dangerous plan, much more than ridiculous. And, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you would think you wouldn't have to tell uh, the, the President of the United States or our, our government that um, selling weapons to our enemies is not a good idea, especially since... Saudi, in Saudi Arabia, for example, they are doing a lot of um, financing education in the Middle East and even in American schools. There was just a report that I saw today talking about how Saudi Arabia has, has spent, um, I don't know how much money, a lot of money, billions, millions, I don't know, um, to finance, not only in the Middle East, to finance schools that so that they teach jihad, but also even in America, promoting Islam and jihad in America uh, in grades K through 12, as well as in colleges. So these are the people that we're selling arms to. I mean, the problem is that in America, we see everything as sort of an instant society. You know, we have um, microwaves and, and everything has to be, you know, people want instant therapy, instant fixes. And, and we see things not in a historical context because we're a newer, a relatively newer country compared to the others. And we see things um, in terms of shorter time spans, whereas the people who are promoting uh, jihad see things in centuries. And, um, you know, so we see uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, that we have some friends there. Um, and and so the idea would be to give these friends uh, help in terms of giving them weapons, but in seeing looking at this in the larger context, context the longer historical context, we should realize that this is really a dangerous situation. I mean, really adding weapons to any country. I'm not just picking on Saudi Arabia, but adding weapons to any terrorist promoting or jihad promoting country. Um, is a dangerous thing. I mean, it, that sort of seems self-evident. And another thing, why, you know, what, what really needs to happen, and I'm glad to hear that apparently it's happening um, uh, to some degree in the U.K. when Melanie Phillips was talking about how there are some young Muslims coming out. These are people who were Islamic radicals in the U.K., and they're coming out and telling people, um, how it really is behind the scenes. And we have some people who are brave enough to do that in the United States, too, um, who have come from a background where they, uh, they're, you know, where they're ex-terrorists, shall we say. Um, 
and that's these people are very courageous. They are putting their life in jeopardy, and it's but these are the people who are going to be most believable and um, make more of an impact uh, because they they actually have been there and they're able to to talk about it from a viewpoint that most of us don't get to see. So we have to ask the question: Why aren't there more moderate Muslims? speaking out against terrorism. And that question is valid both for the U.K. and, and America. And, and uh, that's what we need to see as well. We need more people coming out um, so, that, so that we don't continue to be in denial. We don't continue to collude with the terrorists who are infiltrating and not want to see that they're there because we don't want to believe that we are in danger. That's the bottom line. I'm sorry if I uh, uh, caused you some terrorist stress in this show, but it's better to have some terrorist stress now and do some of the things that I recommend um, to cope with it, both in terms of activism and in terms of uh, decreasing your stress, uh, specifically terrorist stress. Um, but that's what we, we need to start doing. We can't deny this anymore. We can't just concentrate on... on Fast food, hamburgers, and and uh, <laughs> and Nike sneakers. So you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Today we've been talking about Londonistan today, America stand tomorrow, and you. It's in your hands. You're the one who can do something about this. Each of us. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.